Good afternoon and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. Okay, let's try that again. Good afternoon and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts. Sorry, I was uploading a bunch of audio files for today's show and started um, mashing buttons, as they say, here in Georgia and uh, set aside some some couple of uh, audio snippets that weren't supposed to get played. Anyway, uh, thank you for joining us. Coming to you live here from Atlanta, Georgia. I am your host, Jake Counts, for today's broadcast jam-packed show for you today, a little bit different than what we're we're used to doing, but just to kind of recap um, what happened on last week's show. Last week's show obviously covered the news a little bit, covered the TSA on the streets. If you guys want to see the archives, you can pull them up on my, um, on my post. Also, um, got into where do you get your information? So, as I told everybody before, and as I've alluded to before, this is not infotainment. This is something that I um I am passionate about because I believe that that people need to know this information and and need to get this information out and share it with their friends, family members, whoever will listen. Because we are approaching a um an interesting period of time and a period of history that has actually come before. And as we know, history is a great barometer of um future. Uh, you know, future endeavors and what um, what we can expect from the future. So, you know, all of these things that we're going through currently have we've experienced in the past. And once again, as the old saying goes, those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. So, a little bit different show this week. Um, I'm actually not even going to cover any of the news snippets. I usually do about five minutes of news, but this topic is essential to understanding where we are as a society, what um, what you can expect moving forward, and also will get you a little bit more aware when you're watching the news and when you're watching when you're watching the talking heads talk about money, and when you watch Ben Bernanke and you watch Ron Paul kind of banter with one another, you'll be able to understand it a little bit more. And as I said before, I want this to be a good resource for for you all that don't have time to do the research or don't have time to to study up because either you're working two jobs or you got a lot of other pressing things going on in your life and you you just don't have the time to dedicate to it. I always try to find the time and even myself it slips away sometimes. But I did want to start off the show with two quotes and if you want to follow along with the with the broadcast as far as the documents and the the audio links. Obviously, I'll play the audio links for you here, but you can just go to uh, go to my website www.wearenotcattle.net. You can click on the either on air icon or you can click on the next broadcast icon that would take you here. But click on the on air icon and that'll take you to today's post. And then under that, you'll see um, the quotes as well as all the audio support that I have coming out. And um, some little fun tidbits at the very end with the 
fractional reserve banking calculator, which I messed with last night and almost made myself throw up. But side issue. Um, first, I wanted to start off with the Benjamin Franklin quote. Now, I did do some fact-checking, um, and there's a couple of quotes floating out there that Benjamin Franklin didn't actually say that sound really good. But um, this is an actual quote from him, and I just want to kind of read it, you know, and so everybody can kind of get an idea of, of where this nation came from and why this nation came into being, because I think that that's an integral part of moving forward, is we need to know where where we came from as a nation, you know, what um, what what drove our founding fathers to to start this nation, and and what we're going to do moving forward. So. The quote reads as follows. The restraints lately laid on their trade, talking about the, the colonies, by which bringing of foreign gold and silver into the colonies was prevented. The prohibition of making paper money among themselves and demanding a new and heavy tax by stamps, taking away at the same time trials by jury, and refusing to receive and hear their humble petitions. That was Benjamin Franklin. And the next quote I wanted to read is Woodrow Wilson, because this will really set the stage. Obviously, the Benjamin Franklin quote is where we came from as a nation. And then the man that created the, the Federal Reserve and the IRS, thank you very much, Woodrow Wilson had this following quote to say, and this really gets into the power structure, which I talked about in uh, in previous shows. We we have not one or two, but many fields of endeavor into which it is difficult, if not impossible, for an ind- for the independent man to enter. We have restricted credit. We have restricted opportunity. We have controlled development, and we have come to be one of the worst ruled one of the most completely controlled and dominated governments in the civilized world. No longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction and by a vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small group of dominant men. Wow, that's powerful stuff. Mainly because that was said a long time ago and it's still relevant today. You still see that the hands that stir the pot, if you will, the power structure is a small group of dominant men, mainly running giant mega banks that that issue credit amongst the you know amongst the civilians amongst the taxpayers so like I said, this is going to be different. There's actually going to be no news, so I'm going to jump into the to the topic at hand and the topic for today. As you can see, is the topic of the week is is how money is made in fractional reserve banking. Now I've got a bunch of snippets here to help me out because Lord knows that I am not an economist, but I understand to a great extent how money is made here in the United States. So let's just give you a quick once over on on how money comes into circulation. So, as anybody might know, or you might not, um, if you look at a dollar, at the very top, it does not say U.S. Treasury note. It actually says Federal Reserve note. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Federal Reserve is a private bank, 
And what this bank does, it's a central bank, and central banks are are grouped together um, all over the United – or not all over the United States, but all over the world to create a banking network. And the central banks issue currency to governments, and what they do is the government comes to the central bank and says we need a loan for X, which the loan could be – anything. It could be infrastructure, it could be anything. Or it could be, as it's been lately, a loan to bail out Europe. So they go to the central bank. The central bank approves the loan to the United States or insert X country there. And they actually make the country pay it back in interest, obviously, because it's a bank. Obviously, banks put out loans and they charge you interest for borrowing the money. So once the the terms have been agreed upon, then the Fed goes to the Treasury, and the Treasury puts the money into circulation. And if paper money is required, then it goes to the Mint, and that's where the paper money is printed. So you have a private bank that lends our country money to be able to allow us to live us and you know or for allow for us to be able to live the life that we've become accustomed to. Now, there are a couple of things that are interesting about this and in the fact that once again you have a private bank issuing our currency that's like Wachovia or Wells Fargo or Bank of America issuing the currency or issuing the actual you know, the dollars to the United States or the loan, if you will. People like to think of of um of debt in dollars, so it's easy to kind of convert that. So but um I do have a snippet here from Ron Paul that really will will sum it up and this actually happened last week and he talks about the difference between Austrian economics and the economics that we run today with fractional reserve banking. And so here's the snippet, and this will give you an idea, and I called this snippet the, the grand experiment. I think what we're witnessing today is the end stages of a grand experiment, a philosophic experiment on total fiat money. Yes, they've been debasing currencies for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and they always end badly. They always return to market-based money, which is commodity money, gold and silver. But this experiment is something different than we've ever had before, and it started in 1971, where we were actually given an opportunity in many ways to be the issuer of the fiat currency, and we had way too many benefits from that than uh, people realized. But it's gone on for 40 years, and people keep arguing from the other side of this argument that it's working, it's doing well, and yet... From my viewpoint and the viewpoint of the free market economists, all it's doing is building a bigger and bigger bubble. And uh, the free market economists were the ones who predicted the Nasdaq bubble, the housing bubbles, but we never hear from the Keynesian liberal economists and the central bankers and saying, watch out, there's, there's a bubble out there. There's uh, too much credit, too many problems there. There's a housing bubble. We have to deal with it. Usually we get reassurance from the Fed on that. So Ron Paul really encapsulates it right there, where he says that this is a grand experiment, and and he pretty much knows that this is going to fail because it's because it's always failed. And what happens when you have fractional reserve banking is that you will 
you will create artificial bubbles because you're in essence creating money out of nothing. There is no asset. It's just a promise for the person to pay it back. So to get you a little bit more familiar with with the promise of paying it back and how the actual money gets created, I wanted to um to give you this little snippet that's a that's a simple exercise in in how and how money comes to being in the United States or in just a central bank in general and the regulations that used to be in place, which were nine-to-one regulations, so that however many dollars or however many deposits they had, let's say that you deposit $1,000. Well, the bank used to have regulations that it would maintain a nine-to-one ratio. And just to give you an example of the 9 to 1 ratio, I've got this snippet right here. So check this out, and then we'll come back to, to the discussion. To illustrate this in a simple way, let's imagine that a new bank has just started up and has no depositors yet. However, the bank's investors have made a reserve deposit of $1,111.12 of existing cash money at the central bank. The required reserve ratio is 9 to 1. Step 1. The doors open and the new bank welcomes its first loan customer. He needs $10,000 to buy a car. At the 9 to 1 reserve ratio, the new bank's reserve at the central bank, also known as high-powered money, allows it to legally conjure into existence 9 times that amount, or $10,000, on the basis of the borrower's pledge of debt. This $10,000 is not taken from anywhere. It's brand new money simply typed into the borrower's account as bank credit. The borrower then writes a check on that bank credit to buy the used car. So as the example kind of lays out, you, you, you can take a small amount of money and lend it out. But in essence, you're lending it out with the with the known obligation that the person taking the loan is going to repay it back in full with interest. So the reason that you have bubbles and the reason that you have discrepancies in fractional reserve banking is that not all loans are good loans. You wonder why we had the banking crisis, and that's because the lower standards, the lower standards of lending, which were brought upon by the Fed. And the, and the Fed, once again, the private bank, what they did were they dropped interest rates and they and they lowered the actual standards that people had to meet in order to own a home. And this was also um, part in place of Glass-Steagall as well. Glass-Steagall was the example the man talks about where the banks had to keep a 9 to 1 ratio and they actually kept commercial and and privatized banks separate not commercial and privatized but um there's two separate types of banks and they they in the in the beginning they were separated so you had the commercialized bank and then you had a different type of bank that wouldn't deal with loans and interests and stuff like that but then when you remove Glass-Steagall you put everything under one umbrella which could create a giant mega bank which we in turn term the coin too big to fail, coin the term too big to fail. So to give you an idea of what happened there, I'm going to go to this next clip. And like I said, there's going to be a lot of clips, but 
These are very succinct, very short clips that really surmise the information quite succinctly, whereas I can't do it. I'm going to stammer and stumble around because, you know, this is not an area that I studied for my entire life, whereas these gentlemen that I'm referencing, this is all that they have done and this is all that they know. Why did we have a stock market bubble? You know, we had a stock market bubble because the Federal Reserve was too easy. They were too loose in the 1990s. Uh, money interest rates were too low. We created too much money, and uh, that fed the the investments in the stock market. And we we had a lot of malinvestments, right? We had companies were created that never should have existed. They were created not because they could generate a profit, but because they could go public. Because investors wanted these stocks. It didn't matter that they could make money. So what did they do? They took land, labor, and capital. They took all the factors of production, and they combined them in ways that actually destroyed value. But it didn't matter because these companies got financing. The Fed made the financing cheap, so they were able to flourish. They were able to flourish despite the fact that they were losing money. You know, the old the saying used to, be, used to be they lose money on every sale, but they make it up on volume. And that that's a that's a quote from a Peter Schiff speech that um, if you guys have not seen it, I um, I link to that audio, but you can actually go watch the entire speech on YouTube. It's it's pretty powerful, you know. And Peter Schiff is not not alone in this battle here. He's he's talked about the bubbles in the past, and he's been on CNN and 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 he's talked on C-SPAN and all these other you know these other avenues, and and basically he's trying to inform the public that you know that this is that these bubbles are are just not a not a surprise occurrence these are these are things that can be predicted and just to give you an idea of somebody else that did predict them Ron Paul gave a speech back in 2000 it was either 2001 or 2002 i can't remember off the top of my head but he actually gives a speech to to congress and this is on C-SPAN where he predicts the housing bubble and and why it's going to happen The Federal Reserve credit created during the last eight months has not stimulated economic growth in technology or the industrial section, but a lot of it ended up in the expanding real estate bubble, churned by the $3.2 trillion of debt maintained by the uh, GSEs, the government-sponsored agents' enterprises. The GSEs, made up of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the Federal Home Loan Bank, have managed to keep the housing market afloat, in contrast to the more logical slowdown in hotel and office construction. Instead of the newly inflated money being directed toward the stock market, it now finds its way into the rapidly expanding real estate bubble. This too will burst as all bubbles do. The Fed, the Congress, or even foreign investors can't prevent the collapse of this bubble any more than the incestuous Japanese banks were able to keep the Japanese miracle of the 1980s going forever. So once again, you know, these these things that we're seeing around not only the United States but around the world today with um with currency devaluation and and markets collapsing, this is this is a byproduct of of central banking. This is a byproduct of phony fiat money because once again, you know, the central banking fractional reserve theory 
would work if all the loans were good loans and the money stayed in circulation in and amongst the banks. And so what happens if you start handing out bad debt is that you're creating money that you know that you're never going to get paid back. So what happens then? Then you have a lot of outstanding debts and you have a lot of outstanding you know, mortgages and such. So you're seeing that now. You're seeing the actual shakeout of really deregulated banking. And what happened was when in 1995, the removal of Glass-Steagall, the Clinton administration wanted to, and they pitched on this idea that every American should own a home. That's the American dream to own a home. And what you see today is you see that translating into society. Society actually adopted that, and at least the American society did. That's the dream, to own a home, to have a car, to have the family. That's the dream. Where in actuality, not everybody deserves to own a home, nor do they need to own a home. There are some people that sh should just be renters. There are some people that should be homeowners. And there are some people that should possibly do a little bit of both, just depending on on how everything you know works out in your financial situation. So the the closing quote that I have, and then I'm gonna probably have about five minutes left over for for callers. If anybody wants to call in, the number is six zero two seven five three nineteen sixteen. And this last quote is once again from Ron Paul, and the reason that I harp on this gentleman so much is that not only is he a doctor of medicine, but he understands economic principles. Now, we've gotten away from having a leader in our office of the presidency that actually understands, well, let's face it, understands anything. They rely heavily on on their cabinet members, which is fine, and on you know whomever surround whoever they surround as far as their their advisors go. But what what happens if you get people that are in charge that are not in the best interest of the people? Remember, the Constitution says we the people, and within that, we can actually overthrow the government if we think it's either corrupt or we think it's not looking out for the best interests of the American people. So a lot of people are starting to take notice. I um I I've obviously if anybody knows me, I I'll bring up politics in almost in almost any situation, but I wanted to test the waters just to find out how much how much the the people that I'm talking with actually know. Not to saying that I'm um, omniscient or omnipotent, I always get those two mixed up or all knowing, but I do know a little bit. And once again, the idea of the show is is to educate is to educate the listeners so that and and give it in a format to where the listener can go out and and you can just direct somebody to either my site or my broadcast and get somebody a little bit more in tune as to what's really going on because I think what you're finding now is a lot of people are hungry for what's going on because they're starting to see that that there's a trend, and I think they're starting to see through the smoke and mirrors of the mainstream media. But the last clip I want to go to was once again from Ron Paul, and this is what um, I like to call the, the central economic planning failure. So, But it was a system designed to pyramid debt 
We have a debt-based system. The more debt we have and the more debt the Federal Reserve buys, the more currency they can print. And they monetize this debt. And no wonder we're in a debt crisis. It's worldwide. I think it's something we've never experienced before. And uh, I think the conclusion will be a vindication either for sound money or if you win the argument and say, yes, we are great managers, we know how to do it, we want the credit for the good times, and we want the credit for getting us out of those good times, I mean, I think within a few years we're going to know. Of course, I'm betting that the market is smarter, commodity money is smarter, we're not, nobody's smart enough to uh, have central economic planning. So once again, that was um, that was addressed to Ben Bernanke, and and basically Ron Paul calls him out that 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 what we're doing is is unsustainable, and and I I read a quote the other day and I couldn't find it on the on the web, but I'll post it on my site later. But it was from a physicist who said that the the most dangerous concept in the world is the fact that human beings have an un an inability to process an exponential curve. And what does that mean? The inability for you to process that let's say that inflation's at three percent of the money supply. So let's say the money supply was at a hundred thousand dollars just just for a sake of argument. And it's at three percent every year. So if you hear somebody like Ben Bernanke say that we're going to keep inflation at 3%, the the idealist would think of inflation as 3% every year, so it becomes a flat line. Whereas in actuality, it's 3% of that 100,000 the first year, and then it's 3% of that 100,000 plus the 3% the next year, and so on and so forth. So the more years that get put onto the debt, the larger the curve gets, and more importantly, the steeper the curve gets. If you look at just a a chart of the U.S. debt, you'll see that it, it starts out pretty low, and then it slowly trends up around World War II, and then, and then it spikes a little bit, and then it starts trending up. And then you see when... When we started getting involved in monetizing debt and the removal of Glass-Steagall, which once again took away that 9 to 1 ratio, so now banks can can print and issue unlimited unlimited fiat money, you watch the debt just absolutely skyrocket over the last 20 years. And that's one of the main reasons is because it's out of control spending from the government from one part and number two there is really no sound monetary policy because and this was another quote as long as as long it's it's like musical chairs as long as the music's still playing the fractional reserve banking system will always work but as soon as the music stops aka as soon as the people lose faith in fractional reserve banking then you're going to have collapse and it's what people who are economists have been warning us about. You know, I had a friend of mine that went to um and went to his financial advisor and his financial advisor and he sat down and they had a conversation and and the financial advisor div- divulged to my friend he said, "You know, I went to an economic conference 
about a week ago. And it was was really interesting because two out of the four economists said that we're headed for a depression. And that's really that's something that, you know, the the public really can't wrap their head around. You know, depression is is horrible. Once again, you have hyperinflation which could ensue, which would basically take your money and make it worth nothing. You could have a bank holiday, which what bank holidays are is when the bank will actually shut its doors for a couple of days and then the interest rate will increase, thus devaluing your currency so your dollar is worth a lot less when the banks reopen. And then, of course, there's the all-dreaded run on the bank, which if the American people or people in general just lose complete faith in the system and everybody goes to collect – once again, they only had to have a 9 to 1 ratio, so they only had to have 10% on hand at any time. What makes you so sure that they've even got 10% anymore? Which in actuality, they probably don't. So, thanks for listening this week, guys. You can find this on my on my website. Once again, get a friend, get informed. And get involved, everybody. Thanks for listening again. Check us out Wednesday night. God bless.